This is the Magic Word Podcast.com. So we're beginning actual the full day two, second day of this uh, convention. And this is the first full day because yesterday, day one, really uh, got started with the first lecture at one o'clock and went on late into the evening. Uh, and uh, as we left off last night, as you remember from uh, the close, we had uh, given you a quick update uh, with Ed Ripley and I were talking. And also a quick update on the uh, show we had with... Um, uh, oh, uh, the uh, John Sterlini uh, Magic and Mayhem auction kind of a thing. And then there was Bill Gladwell, who, uh, instead of doing mentalism, which he's known for, was doing hypnosis act, which he had done many years ago down in Gatlinburg. In fact, if you go back and listen to the podcast that uh, I'd done with him and with uh, Keith Fields many years ago, it was called Flim and Flam. And this would have been, oh, golly, it's probably number 100 and something. So it was many years ago, you know, 10 years ago. So anyhow, this morning I'm here with a, a couple of guys who are organizers from this uh, convention and have been long associated with it. Uh, my good friend Mike Stratman. Hey there, Mike. Good morning. How are you? <laughs> I'm fantastic. I'm glad that you're here, buddy. And also Roger Reeves. Hey, Roger. Yeah, good morning, Scott. And um, Roger, your position with the convention is what? I'm uh, in registration here. Okay, you're registration chairman. I am. So do well, do- no, and that's who I'd like to introduce you to. Okay, who is this? This is Jack Wilson. Hey there, Jack. Hello. How you doing? And Jack's Good. responsible for all this, and without him, nobody would be in this convention. So. <laughs> and we are so thankful for you and all you guys, because it's actually a ring activity. This is something that all of you guys kind of put together then each year, this being the 48th year after, I guess, a couple of years uh, shutdown uh, during COVID over there. But uh, how long have you been doing this then, Jack? Uh, about 13 years, I think. Okay. Did you just move into the area about that time? Or? No, I actually went to a ring meeting back in the 80s, and I was just starting graduate school, and I said, ooh, these guys are serious. That's going to be too much work. <laughs> so I didn't join then, but uh, several years later, I was in Gatlinburg, and one of the members had a magic shop, and I was talking to him. He said, oh, you should come to a ring meeting, and so I yeah. did, and, and just kind of got hooked. And uh, how about you then, Roger? Well, Scotty, my, my claim to fame would be I'm the guy in charge of the Saturday night pizza party. Oh, so you go corral the cheap uh, the pizzas for everybody. Uh, we've got like 100 pizzas that I'm in, responsible for. And, of course, I want to make sure the cook doesn't um, die. call in sick and die. <laughs> and uh, we bring them all back and we feed the, the guys and, and ladies. And, and they say their goodbyes and show their last card trick. And, yeah. and then we go home. And that's been an ongoing tradition for years of the pizza party, it right? Yes, I started doing that in 2013. And, uh, is this something that is done out of the, uh, the benevolence of your heart, or is it something that's actually a club-sponsored activity that comes from the funds? Or right, what? yeah, it's part of the club thing, and we were trying to come up with a way to do something. It was just after the last show, you know, it just kind of, what are you going to do? We used to have the dealer room open, but right. that was really hard on the dealers. Right. So uh, John Hopper, one of our members, came up with a pizza party idea, and... We cannot get rid of it now. <laughs> You're stuck with it, so to speak. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Uh, speaking of registration, then, I, what are the numbers looking like right now? Probably about the same as we had last year. Okay. And we were, it was a little tentative last year because we were coming, coming out, out of COVID, and we were concerned nobody would show up last year. So, so we had about 150 or so last year? Is that right? uh, around 200, 200 probably, so? yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. Uh, and also, uh, Mike, I know that you've been working with the hotel. And tell us a little bit. I know that the hotel had changed because we used to use the Ramada, which was just right up the hill uh, or down the hill, I guess, from uh, the Country Tonight Theater uh, then as well. And because, what, the Dollywood started open? Or what's the, the well, change? Well, two things. Uh, first of all, the year of COVID, 
uh, the Ramada had a chance to book another group. Uh, so they booked that group. We weren't going to come up here anyway the year of COVID. Yeah. And uh, so that group started getting in ahead of us where we couldn't book the whole Ramada. So I had to search out and look for another another hotel, and I found one, so we split them up. But then the Ramada came back and said, well, we've still got 25 rooms. So we decided, well, we'll try to put the performers over in the Ramada right. because it's closer to the facility right. here. And uh, so that's that's what happened. Now, I've talked to her earlier this week trying to see if we can't lock in for next year, year yeah. for the whole group like we had before. Fingers crossed. What's going yeah. on? Yeah. And she hasn't responded back to me yet. But, okay. I mean, we're not the only ones they book groups with is, is the right. problem. Mm-hmm. So uh, if uh, they can take us back, it'll be great. If not... I guess we'll try to stay at the same split we have. The thing is, is the hotel that I booked separate, they started doing a lot of remodeling work, so then we had to cut back on who we could put there. Wow. Okay. And uh, I went over there this morning for the first time and just had breakfast to see how it was going. Now, the people that are staying there seem to like it, but it's about a half mile away, which is a little more inconvenient. It's not really an easy walk, necessarily, no. depending upon the weather. The yeah. weather's been stellar here this weekend, by the way. Yeah, so far we've lucked out. We have lucked out. This hasn't been the true winter carnival that uh, we've had in the past. Well, yeah, in the past, when we were up in Gatlinburg, when we had that heavy snow, uh, Gatlinburg's going to get more snow than they do down here. Mm-hmm. In, in fact, we we had so much snow up there you couldn't hardly leave. But you <laughs> yeah. got down to Knoxville and it, it wasn't even it wasn't on the ground. Yeah, so you know, uh, it's just a case of getting out. So we're a little low, 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 a little lower in elevation here. Yeah, which uh, helps some. Uh, Jack, another question I had as far as actually a compliment, I guess, and that is the uh, the swag bag. I mean, the goodies that oh. everybody's getting. Tell us a little about. I mean, this is not something that every convention gives out. Right, and we struggle with it every year trying to do something different. You do. We, yeah, every, something every year, yeah. And cool. then uh, we came up with the um, propylene, uh, the, I wouldn't call them, uh, they're, they're kind of the quality that you would get if you're going to the grocery store and one of those bags that you, yeah, get you buy for all yeah. the time, mm-hmm. you know, like Aldi's or something. And so uh, we got our logo on there, and it's our you know theme color of blue, and right. they look really good. Yeah, so. so it's a bag that you can reuse or use the grocery store or whatever. Absolutely, well. it's a reusable bag. Yeah. Yes, yeah. And so I don't think I hadn't seen that in any of the other conventions, so that's pretty good. But this year, uh, tell us what the stu- stuff they've got in there. Oh yeah, so we've got some really nice uh, notepad. But the biggest thing is that uh, Jim Stott, who has done a lot of magic kits over the years, donated uh, pretty much for every registrant uh, a magic kit. Mm-hmm. And if you go on Amazon, it's like a $30, $40 kit. Yeah. And so that's, that's quite a deal, and we were very it, grateful. And they were him. different. I mean, there was a money yeah. magic kit, and there was street a street magic. magic. Yes, yeah. yeah, card, I think. And so, and, you know, luck of the draw, or if you didn't like the one you get, you could trade with somebody trade else. With a friend over there, yeah. But, uh, yeah, they've been very popular. Well, that's a nice thing, then, again, about this convention, because of the size of this, that it is very communal, familial, I guess, you know, where a lot of people come back uh, you know, year after year. I think this is my fourth or fifth uh, convention here, and I love it. And uh, a lot of people who have, are not here, I know, have read their posts on Facebook and saying, man, I wish I could be there, one of my favorite conventions or whatever. So Yeah, it's the same people, you know, every year. Yeah. And uh, and I've, I've talked to several people who go, well, I'll go to maybe one convention, it's going to be yours. <laughs> <laughs> and Roger, I, we were uh, talking about this being the first full day, but we had quite a few things happen yesterday. What so far has happened that's been one of your favorite act- Now, you've been kind of behind the desk, but from what you've seen, what have you enjoyed so far? Well, um, just being here, that's, to me, 
handing out these badges, and I don't get a chance to see many of the seminars and the contests, but that's okay. It's a club thing, and if you can't donate your time, you shouldn't be in the club. You should be, and um, and that's my thing, being here with the camaraderie, working with Jack and uh, Bill and the rest of the crew. This is what we do, and we yeah. love it. Yeah. But, you know, uh, Scott, is really funny. The next register walked up. I told him, I said, uh, that's Scott Wells, and he's doing a live podcast for um, The Magic Word. He said, that's the reason why I came to see Scott Wells. <laughs> so, so, Hello, uh, Brody, buddy, buddy, hey, buddy. But Buddy August. Buddy August, brother, shake your hand. Thank you very much. I'm glad you listened. Appreciate that. <laughs> Thanks for coming. <laughs> glad that you're here then, too. So you weren't here yesterday. You haven't seen any of the activities so far. You got a lot of... Came, came, in late, came in late yesterday. I'm a competitor. I travel around competing, and I looked at your list. I called up everybody, find out who had competitions, yeah. and I'm here. Well, there we are. Well, good luck with that. Are you in the uh, stage or the uh, close-up? Open or? mic. Open mic, and that's this afternoon. Is yeah. it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Correct. This good afternoon. luck. We'll find out, I guess, then later how that goes. <laughs> Very good, uh, Mike. What have you enjoyed so far at the convention? Well, just being here, meeting the people uh, that, yeah. that come back every year. I mean, we have such a great group that just comes every year, and you know, it's always good to see them. And as far as uh, seeing a lot of the what goes on, I don't get into a lot of the the, the programs in there. Uh, You're kind of walking around and solving around. problems aren't right. you yeah we have there, there's always something you know and a lot of questions some people have and we'll try to answer those yeah and uh and i'll sneak in and try to catch a few of the acts and yep. the uh like the close-up this morning i thought it was one of the better close-up uh, contests contests we've had in the last few years so that was very good to, to see that so. yeah roger yeah scott one of the things i wanted to point out and this is kind of neat um, we've got these stick-on ribbons, and one says uh, first-timer and one says old-timer. And the people that have come here year after year, if you don't give them an old-timer ribbon <laughs> for their registration badge, they get offended. So that's something that we started, and it's kind of a cute little gimmick, but... Uh, that's it, old-timer and, and first-timer. Timer. That's a good idea. I like that. Also, what about you? I haven't asked you about what you've enjoyed so far seeing, or have you been kind of stuck back here, too? Yeah, I did get a chance to catch uh, Bill Gladwell's uh, hip- hypnosis show last night, yeah. which was very good. Very and, funny. Very funny. And, of course, it's uh, you know depends on the crowd as much as anything. We had, had some really good contestants last night yeah. participating, so... Yeah, that was very fun. I saw a little of his lecture just now, too. So. Well, we had good lectures, I think, then yesterday. I really enjoyed John Armstrong's lecture uh, yesterday. David Ginn did a great job. Everybody who was involved in doing uh, this, uh, Bob Hummer, had some really excellent ideas, some card things, and talking to Don Weiberg, and he was saying, oh, I'm going to do this or that. I mean, it was some, some good stuff that was all inside there. So, anyhow, a lot of activity still yet planned for the day and for the evening, and the weather is still beautiful for those of you who are listening to this and didn't uh, heed my suggestion to come on down, unlike Buddy, who did listen and he came in for the day to compete. I hope that anyone else who's listening then uh, today, we got one more day uh, left, and you can uh, come in uh, on Saturday and enjoy the uh, convention because one-day registrations are available for how much? Yes, uh, I believe $109 for uh, a magician. For, for one day. day. There you go. You get access to the dealer room and the Friday night sh- or Saturday night show if you come tomorrow. Yeah, for tomorrow. And it's going to be just a lot of lectures and everything else. It's a, a full-packed day for tomorrow, too. So right. think about that. So with the Magic Word Podcast, that was Roger Reeves. That was Mike Stratman. And also Jack and Wilson. Wilson. Thank you guys very much. Appreciate it. This is Scotty out. 
moving from the registration desk over into the dealer's room because all of this is all just in one place. And right now we have the whole Country Tonight Theater, which includes the lobby and everything. And, of course, the dealers are in the lobby. All activities, including close-up stage and lectures, are all in the theater. So it's really great keeping it all together like that. And speaking of keeping it all together, here's a guy who really does have it all together. And that is Anthony Gerard. Hey there, Anthony. How are you? Real good. Though my wife might disagree with you on that last comment. But uh, thank you very much for your Not observation. Not well, Tony, you are all over the place, though. I mean, it seems like whenever I see you then in Colon, you have it together under this tent, even though the wind's blowing or the rain is raining or it's cold or whatever it is. I mean, you're out there in all the elements, you know, uh, dealing. Yep, magic rain nor shine. <laughs> magic rain and, nor shine. And living in Michigan, we get all of it. Uh, I mean, yeah. And if you don't like the weather, wait five minutes. It's going to change. <laughs> now, you lecture, I know, and have a lot of uh, original stuff. And I see it factors every year then as well. What's new? What have you got? What have you been working on, particularly during COVID? You had a couple of years to develop new stuff. So. Actually, I got a brand new piece that I was going to have here. Yeah. But because I was here the last two years and I like uh, switching lecture uh, uh, dealers, yeah. I told I couldn't get a booth this year. Oh. There was a cancellation, and they gave me a call and said, are you still in the last minute? Yeah. I said, well, heck yes, because I just did a lecture day before yesterday in Gray, Tennessee. Okay. You'll like this. My lecture started at 730 and yeah. ended at 345 in the morning. Oh, my God. Yeah. Who are you, Harry Lorraine? <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's not my longest lecture. My longest one, uh, I offered my Magic Behind Bars lecture as either a stand- you know, standard lecture yeah. or the marathon lecture. Okay. Paris and Marseille opted for the marathon lecture. I started talking at 6.30 in the afternoon. I stopped at 5.30 in the morning, and not one person left. 11 hours. 11 hours That's straight. not bad. Neither one of the two people who were in attendance left. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, I didn't leave. I, I yeah, stayed you, there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a great convention. Uh, but, yeah, I, I like doing the, uh, the conventions. I love lecturing. Yeah. Uh, but the, the conventions are great. But I do have a brand-new item that... It's a variation on Arnold First's Fresh Fish Sold Here Today. I was going ha- to have it here, but when they told, them, told me I didn't have a booth, I put it on a back burner for so a couple weeks. Yeah. So, but basically the effect is you walk out carrying like a plastic bag okay. from a bookstore. You say, I just bought a new book. Have you read it? You pull out Webster's Dictionary. <laughs> okay. you say, it has everything in it. You open up to a bookmark. It's the word everything. And you give it a definition. Funny. You do it with a couple other goofy words. Yeah. And finally you get to like the word impossible. And you, you say, that's an interesting word, that which can't be done. But that which couldn't be done yesterday is commonplace today. So the definition doesn't really fit the word. Now, you pull the bookmark out. Now the bookmark is about 22 inches long, and it has the word impossible on it. Yeah. The pattern goes along the lines of, you know, I read that one of the ancient Greek philosophers once wrote that the word impossible can be found in two places. First tear. Second tear is in a dictionary. And the third tear, in the mind of a fool. Well, I'm no fool. Don't ask my wife. She would disagree. But I am a magician, and with magic, everything is possible. Now you unfold it. It's restored, but now instead of impossible, it's the word possible. Possible. So I like I'll that. have that at 4-Up this year, too. Yeah. Wow. <clears throat> with, with the book and everything. Uh, yeah. Uh, but I also wrote a new book, but it's not on magic. Is it's, that the it's card a, attack? Uh, no, it's on a facet of my life. Several months ago, I had my 60th, that's 6-0, brush with death. Now, actually, one time I died in a car accident. A drunk driver hit me. Four times, somebody tried to murder me. Most people go, oh, yeah, I understand that. But it was four different people. Holy moly. Four times within 20 feet of a lightning strike. And looking up at the sky, you might not be safe standing where you're at right now. 
11 anywhere around you it yeah. sounds like I wouldn't be safe 11 tornado encounters but only 3 or 4 of those I could consider life threatening but I called the book Cheating the Reaper and it's got uh, chronicles my 60 brushes with death so that's wow. my newest book well that's why your hair is white because if you got exactly. struck and you're only 30 years old so. no no 28 <laughs> okay. no, yeah, 28 Don't push and then 28 and then 28 yeah. I actually got my birthday coming up December I'll be turning the big 70s so. there you go well it's not bad on this side I'm 71 yeah. so. you know, just as long as you keep putting one foot in front of the other it's a good day and that's what I'm trying to do and Absolutely. how old were you did you say 71 71 yep, yep. Be 72 just, in November just so long as I don't catch up with you you're having a good day <laughs> exactly <laughs> I hope you never do. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so as a dealer, you haven't seen everything, but they have shut down the dealers a little bit from time to time. What have you seen so far as far as uh, any of the, like a show last night or lectures? Or, uh, I didn't get to the shows, uh, you know, after I finished my lecture, talking for nine hours. Yeah. I, even me, I got a little bit burnt out. So I was going to say, you I'm talk so, a lot, I know. Uh, yeah, well, somebody said I was vaccinated by a phonograph needle. <laughs> now, most of the young guys won't understand that one, but the I old guys it. go, oh, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's actually a Gr- Julius Groucho Marx line. Okay. Uh, but I'll borrow it. Uh, but yeah, uh, mostly I've just been doing my thing. You know, when I'm done, I go to the lobbies, I session, I teach. When people buy my items, it's an opportunity for them to pull, you know, get a loan and sit down, and I give them some sure. more tips and ideas and sure. suggestions. Because you're always there for them, you know, as far as uh, being accessible by email or if you oh, want yeah. to. Uh, or stopping into the shop. However, the shop's actually going to be closing in about a year and a half. Next year, it's 50 years since I had the brick and mortar shop yeah. open. We're going to be closing in about a year and a half and focusing on doing some more fun things, also doing more lectures, more uh, more shows. Are you going to close it or sell it to somebody? Uh, no, no, going to close it. Uh, yeah. It's not a type of business. Your son's not interested. In no, no, they've got their own directions sure. that they went into. But it did allow me to do a new item, and this is something that some of your readers might enjoy. One of my bucket list items, I am visiting the oldest bar in every state in the U.S. and having a local beer there. That is great. You just inspired me to do something. It it (laughs) has been a blast. Now, Alaska is going to be a fun one. The claim to fame for the oldest bar in Alaska, they claim to be the world's only brothel-themed pizzeria bar. That's a quite a combination. I, yeah. I, I kind so of what are you going in for? I'm, I'm, I'm actually going to spend a couple of nights there. Boom, <laughs> <laughs> boom. Yeah. Well, and the thank menu you. doesn't open this way. The menu actually opens trifold downward. Yeah. Downward. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you see the menu. Okay. <laughs> That's a Playboy. Ah, uh, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's right. But, but yeah, Got it's been insert there. In fact, at the oldest bar in Nashville, I'm talking to the bartender. And a gypsy, his wife, and their wolf come walking into the bar. It sounds like the beginning of a joke, but no, no, no. A gypsy, his wife, and their wolf. And And I'm like, that's a wolf. And he goes, yeah? Well, yeah, everybody walks into a bar with a wolf. It's been an interesting experience. No, actually, it's my wife. This is. I'm going to let that one go. Well, Tony, good seeing you. Congratulations again on uh, nearly 50 years with that. Uh, yeah, and also, happy birthday coming up as well. Look forward to seeing you at Factors. It's been, uh, speaking of 50, we've got to be the 50th. We're yeah. finally celebrating. They kept oh, postponing and postponing it. it. So this will be fun. And I'll be there with my dealer booth and, yep. uh, and with my new Impossible. With Impossible. So good luck with that. Think that. Oh, I think that's going to be a good one because great for motivational sure. speakers, for MCs, or just for like an opening piece for a magic show. Uh, yep. and, it, and it has a little bit of a, a little bit of a message that could be added to it. So I think you, it's going to be... You put but, as much comedy in there as you want with yeah. reading the words and whatever. So. Yeah, I throw in a bunch of extra words, uh, like the booty. No, 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 not that kind, Scott. 
the booty is something that a pirate finds. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess they both would fit. <laughs> something Arrgh. valuable. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's a, I throw in about, I think, eight or ten different words. Yeah. If I do it, it's going to be three or four. But mm-hmm. you, you know, if somebody wants to have a longer effect, well, they have a longer effect. Good. But, but it's good seeing you. Maybe we'll see you too. together for uh, a chat later. We will. Thanks, Tony, very much. Appreciate it. All good right. luck with the booth. And uh, so for the Magic Bird Podcast, that was uh, Anthony Gerard with Scotty Out. All right, still in the uh, in the dealer's room right now, and one of the people who is, I've said this before on many occasions, it's one of my favorite magicians, uh, definitely in the top five, is Jonathan Neal. I'm always uh, so pleased to get to spend some time with you, Jonathan. Neal right here. How, hello, so Jonathan. Good. Thank you. Everything is great. Good. Glad great to, to see that. you, Scott. And Leanne is here also, your wife. Hello, That's Leanne. Right. Hi. <laughs> and so you're behind the booth and working, and you've got a lot of really cool stuff, and you're going to be uh, lecturing on the Wonder Box. Is that right? Among other things, yes. Among other things? Yeah, yeah. some stage magic. Some silk magic and uh, the Wonder Box. Yeah, classic magic. And I have one of your parakeets. Uh, I haven't strung that in my Blaney cage yet, uh, but um, uh, I got one from uh, Dan Summers who had uh, uh, given me about how to string it. No, he just gave me the, the bird. He didn't give me the instructions. Well, so to speak. Well, you know, Danny. Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, I have to say the. Uh, the presentation that you do with the Vanishing Birdcage and then taking off your jacket. It's oh. like, wait a minute. That was, <laughs> explain that. I mean, not explain it, but, but to the view, uh, listeners, explain what I just said there. Uh, well, traditionally, when you do the Vanishing Birdcage, you're stuck with it up your sleeve or wherever it goes. Right. And there have been ways over the years to get rid of it behind a nightclub table with a hook or something. Right. But I thought, I wonder if I could come up with a method where you could just in the act of removing the jacket get rid of the cage at the same time and you're left in a, your shirt and trousers so I kind of thought I could work it out and I did uh, to me that gives me the, exactly everything I want out of the trick I can set it up in front of the audience I can do the vanish I can end cleanly and move on to the next trick you can do it in the middle of your act you don't have to have it as an opener yeah exactly it's not an opener it's not a closer it's in the middle of the show that's amazing yeah I think anyone could have done it Spend well, that's what Walter always said about his thing, too. Yeah. You know, he always said, I, I'm never going to tell anybody this. It's my secret. I'm going to the grave with it. And he did. Yeah. Uh, but uh, he was saying that if anybody knew it's just a you know 25-cent piece of whatever that yeah. you need to do with the necessary yeah. equipment, uh, he, he said, but I just thought of it. He said, why didn't anybody else? I'm sure it's the same way with yeah. you. So I'm like, well, this is obvious. But. It seemed that way to me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, there are little details to finesse, sure. but it wasn't rocket science. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that the uh, the beauty of that is very elegant and simplistic and yeah. what appears to be the design. I mean, you put it on, take it off, and yeah. wow. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I'm going to be using it next week. I'm going to be working the parlor early, and so I'm going to open with the birdcage. Oh, you are? Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Are you going to be there next week? Are you going back? Or? No, we work at Marvin's for uh, Jeff Hobson next week. Okay. We're at the ca- I'm at the castle the following week okay. with John Carney and the Peller. Okay. Uh, Just miss you. Just miss it. Yeah, unfortunate. Sorry about that. Well, I'm just asking, Leanne, as you were saying that the snow has melted, I guess, so it's not really not, the weather's not as bad as it was over in L.A. So. I think it's bad this weekend, but we got a reprieve, uh, and I think it'll be good when we get back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they're getting tremendous rain this weekend. Yeah. Uh, going back to the Wonder Box, just uh, a moment, I recall many years ago at the castle, in fact, seeing, I believe it was John Wade doing that. Do you remember? I worked a week with John Wade. Okay. Would have been around 1978 or 79. He was just sitting on a stool and he was doing this and he had a great little thing. Yeah. I don't remember him doing that. I think I would have, but maybe it was that week. 
Okay. I may be confusing it with John, but I thought that it was him that had done that. That's quite probable. Uh, I'm just going to, what is the other fellow's name? Uh, 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 whew, golly. Who all, uh, collected the Cups and Balls posters in uh, London who oh, died? Uh, yes. Um, Bob Reed? Bob Reed. Bob, Bob Reed. Not Bob Reed. Uh, yeah, Bob yeah, Reed. Bob yeah, 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 yeah. It could have been him. Is, yeah. that, is that possible? I've never seen Bob Reed work. Okay. So he probably could have been him. Because typically he would just have a you know bottle production, some other yeah. things, and comedy and whatever. But I think it was John Wade who had had done that. But uh, well, all, all the English magicians all had a demon wonder box. Because Explain this for people who are particularly new magicians, saying, "What's the demon wonder box?" Demon wonder box was a small, self-contained um, silk production. It was a traditional trick of the 30s and 40s was invented in Germany by Janos Bartel, who sold the rights to uh, Davenport. Davenport said, yeah, in actuality, most of them were made in Germany and then sent to England, where they were marketed. Yeah. And it became a trick du jour around 1933. Every magician bought one because it looked impossible. The problem with the trick was it only produced four tiny handkerchiefs, about 15 inches each. It was no great production. It was a small production out of a very small chamber. And at the end, you stole off the gimmick and you could hand the box out for examination. For a trick for magicians to do to amuse themselves, it was brilliant. To use it in front of laymen, it was a big, so what? You know, you could pull more handkerchiefs out of your sleeve than you could out of this box. So I used to sell them as a magic dealer in the 80s in Hollywood. And I wish I had bought one. So when I saw one online, I thought eBay, I'll buy one and play around with it. After about a month of playing around with it, I realized I had no use for it. It only produced four little hankies and wasn't a a worker. Nothing I could do for real people and have them be impressed. So I said, I'm either going to sell this thing off or I'll give myself 30 days to come up with a routine. So I sat down for 30 days and thought, what can I do to make this better? So I decided I needed some kicker loads, some ways to build up the trick. I wasn't the first to come up with the idea of a kicker load, but I think I was the first one to make it more practical. Then I thought, I need a big finale, and I thought, well, the biggest streamer silk I have was a Abbott's Duke Diversion streamer, which is 24 feet by a foot wide. I said, my goal is to produce one of those out of these. No way. Yeah. Oh, my God. So I worked that out, too. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) That's why I love you. You're so brilliant. (laughs) And I realized... Once you produce a certain number of silks, you could steal other silks behind the cover of silks and go anywhere you wanted. But that isn't what I wanted with this trick. I wanted every silk to appear to be coming out of the box itself. Otherwise, it's just an endless exercise. So everything appears to come out of the box. Even after being examined, I still produce more out of it. So that's where it's at. And then I decided, well, okay, what do I do with this information? I put the routine together, performed it at the Magic Castle, kind of in the parlor as a lark to see what magic guys would say. They said, that's great. We haven't seen that ever done that way. So I knew I had a winner. So then I wrote it up as a manuscript so that guys could buy the manuscript. If they wanted to copy my routine verbatim, that was fine. If it was a launching pad for something else. I'm now at an age where I realize I'm going down the hill, not up the hill. But you still look like you were when you were on Mike Douglas. Well, thanks. (laughs) I feel great, but I realize... All the tricks that I've come up with in the intervening years need to be documented and either put into a book or sold as manuscripts for people who just want a one-off. So that's what I'm doing with all my magic eventually. Everything will be... Have a legacy that way. Yeah. 
and leave it for someone else to yep. build on. Build on, exactly. Wow. I like that thinking. Yep. That's, uh, that's very good. Uh, speaking of Mike Douglas, what was the first network TV show that you were on? First TV show was The Carson Show. Okay. That's a good place to start. It's a good place. To, <laughs> I didn't want to be on the show. The talent coordinator for Carson buttonholed me and kept saying, you know, I, I, would, I want you on the show. What was his name? Uh, Jim McCauley. McCauley, yeah. Uh, so I did the show. Then he said, oh, we only gave you three and a half or four minutes. He yeah. says, I'll have you back in a, a few weeks. Because Johnny I, loved magic. And, yeah. yeah. And I thought, yeah, sure, sure, sure. So nearly, nearly a year goes by. And I see him again at a comedy club, and he says, hey, where you been? I said, working. He goes, well, how come you haven't come back to the Carson show? I said, oh, I didn't know if you wanted me. <laughs> so he says, yeah, I definitely want you back. You know, let's set up another date. Yeah. So then by that point, I was now with my wife and partner, Leanne, and we had a new, some new stuff, and we did that. Later on, he wanted me for a third appearance to do the egg bag, but I said, no, no, no. In those days, I thought I was an artist, and I wanted to do pure magic. I didn't want to do an egg bag with Johnny and yeah. somebody and else. Somebody. Yeah, yeah. I, I wanted to do some artistic little thing. So I turned down the show um, to my now reg- regret, but at the time I, I thought it was a principled stand. So that was, anyway, the, the Carson episodes. If you hadn't lived in Hollywood and you would have been any place else in the United States, that would have been saying, oh yes, I'm in. But because well, you're yeah. kind of in and around showbiz all the time, it's like, no, I'm an artist. Well, I thought I was an artist. I realize now I was just a kid. <laughs> who had big dreams uh, later on uh, we were I can remember some routines I didn't get on the Carson show and I thought I oh, know I'll submit to Merv Griffin so I submitted a tape to Merv Griffin that I'd shot at the castle and I got a polite rejection letter about a month later sorry we don't think you're quite right for us okay I'll good take enough for Johnny but not for Merv not good enough for Merv yeah and I thought, you know, the same as people. Well, you know, at least I've been on the best. Yeah. No sooner than a couple of weeks later, a friend of mine calls me and says, hey, the talent coordinator for Merv Griffin wants to go to the Magic Castle. Can I put him on your guest list? I said, sure. He doesn't want to book me, but he can be my guest. Yeah. <laughs> so I put I like him that. on the guest list, and yeah. it, it's a Sunday brunch. So he brings his kids, yeah. and I do, I swear, the exact same act that I submitted on a tape. He yeah. comes up after the show and says, we can put you on Merv. He doesn't even remember that he's rejected me from Merv, which is the difference. I wonder if he actually even saw the tape. I wonder if he saw the tape, or is it the power of seeing video compared to the power of seeing magic done live? Good point. Lesson point for And hearing the audience's reaction, too. Yeah. It's like, they really loved you. Maybe their audience will, too. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, anyway, then we're on Merv. Okay. And from there on... And several others then kind of took took flight from there. And then you're working cruise ships and working the world and everything. And you're still continuing to be busy well into your 50s now. Uh, I wish I were in my 50s. Uh, (laughs) That's what I said. You look still so young. You look great. I don't know what you do, man. Maybe I need to have that that same look. I don't know how I get your look. I don't know. (laughs) I don't color my hair. This is really what it is. You're a lucky guy. (laughs) But I haven't got much of it, but it's my color. Um, And it's all yours, too. It's all mine. Yeah, it's all me. I stopped doing. We decided we don't want to do cruising anymore. We stopped that in 2017. Yeah, good uh, timing. Yeah, by the way. Yeah, we, we were pre-pandemic on that. Have no interest in going back. No. Uh, been there, done that. Been there, done that. You know, been everywhere. Got the t-shirt. Yeah. Now I just want to do magic events, have fun, enjoy myself. So I kind of want to do more conventions. So I perhaps other conventions. people who are organizers listening to this, they all might want to think Scott about Scott Wells, don't That's they? Right, they do. Everyone listens to Scott Wells. <laughs> Listen to me. You should get Jonathan, man. I tell you, he's the best. Yeah. I, he's, 
when I say old school, I mean it is just as fresh as it was when you were doing it on Johnny Carson. Yeah. And it's dynamic. I love the music. Yeah. It was you know it's it's reminiscent kind of of the eighties, you know, kind of yeah. a, what Las was the guy's music? Yeah. yeah. Las Vegas yeah. energy. Yeah. yeah, still high energy and everything. Highly recommend that. Yeah. You need to uh, to consider getting Jonathan. And if they want to get in touch with you, how would they, by the way? Uh, go to our website, uh, jnealshow.com. That's N-E-A-L. N-E-A-L, that's right. Or send me an email at jnwonderbiz at gmail.com. Okay. Yeah. There you go. And also on the website, they can see all the things you got, which are new new thing. Of course, we were talking about the birdcage that you have. Yeah. A very interesting parakeet, which is different than the, the one that Lupe made. Of course, yeah. hers is rubber, and yours hers is, is actually. These are foam covered in silk and then hand painted. There's an awful lot of labor. A lot of labor in that. So they're kind of pricey. But if you have a birdcage, they're unbeatable. Yeah. You know, the light's not going to kill them like latex. Uh, that, that's true. You know, but when you keep the thing moving all the time from yeah. a few rows back, this looks even more realistic than the, uh, than, than the other one that Lupe yeah. has as, as well. But now you give me instructions on how to, to thread how, my. How maybe to I need to do bird. this. So maybe I should. I wish you were there next week to help me with it. Maybe I should yeah. go and have Danny do this before yeah. I leave. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Jonathan, very much. My Appreciate pleasure, your time. Scott. Good luck over here. and uh, Good luck with the podcast. Thank you very much. And until next time, that was Leanne and yeah. Jonathan. Scotty out. So I'm here with David Corsero right now. I'm doing well. Thank you. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great, Scott. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> so you were uh, not here until just this morning last night. I mean, I didn't see you yesterday. Yeah, I got in pretty late last night. Um, you know, gigs and shows around the New York, New Jersey area. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I got in. I got to have a great dinner with Steve Bargatze, who's always, you know, the highlight of my uh, my, my uh, time at time. a convention. Everybody anybody's loves time. That's Who exactly doesn't right. love Steve Bargatze? I don't know a single person. Because his son is Nate. I mean, that's the only reason you love Steve. Well, we're trying to get better seats the next time if, Nate comes well, into if, town. If you, but, you kind yeah. of schmooze Steve, maybe that he has has an in with Nate to, He's to, to bit, get yeah. you moved up Not a little anymore. bit. <laughs> oh, there's Steve right now. That's it. <laughs> yeah, so I got in yesterday. This is my first time ever at the Winter Carnival. Seems like a great convention. Everyone's super nice, and mm-hmm. it's a lot of fun. And so you're going to be lecturing here in just the next few minutes, and actually, so I'm catching you just uh, before that. What kind of stuff are you going to be talking about? So we're going to do a little bit of stuff on the business side of stuff, a little bit on the marketing piece. Uh, I'm going to teach the trick that I use to fool Penn & Teller. Which is I'm, awesome. Thank you. I'm going to teach... Uh, my opener, which I use at Speakeasy Magic in New York City. I'm going to teach my closer at Monday Night Magic. So, you know, the stuff I'm going to teach everybody hopefully is the real world stuff that's out there that's getting done, and hopefully they enjoy it. When you had uh, fooled Penn and Teller and got the FU uh, trophy, I remember when you were watching that, and I was thinking, I remember you lecturing about that at uh, Factors many years, and I loved that. I made up the trick and did it myself, and I so I knew what kind of to look for over there. And it's like this is wonderful <laughs> <laughs> because it was so underground, so few people, so many few of us actually knew about that. I love that trick. Love Thank that you trick. so much. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> All and, of your uh, ideas are very practical, very commercial, and uh-huh. they're and they take cards to a completely different level. I mean, they're really not card tricks particularly because you have writing on the cards, you know, basically on so many of them, yeah. It's not necessarily you're finding a six of diamonds or a ten of hearts, but you're finding something a little bit different, and hopefully that hopefully people can connect to that. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's kind of what uh, set you apart then as well. Now, during COVID, uh-huh. you were very busy with Monday Night Magic and uh, helping with the Zoom things, too. Yeah, Monday Night Magic did a weekly Zoom show where we highlighted one magician each particular week, and I emceed all of those shows. That was awesome. You did a great and it was job. great. I mean, luckily here, ironically, here at the convention, we had John Armstrong lecture yesterday, yeah. and John did a phenomenal Zoom show. Mm-hmm. I mean, so engaging, so entertaining. Um, so I got to see a ton of great people and see, see some really great Zoom magic. How many people attended typically a, one of the Zoom shows on I mean, Monday we night? Had, we, had crazy, we had audiences from 25 to 100 and something mm-hmm. every single Monday. Yeah. So it, was, it, it varied. It really did. 
And uh, because it was Zoom, you were bringing people in from all over the world, too. Yeah, yeah, which was really great, too. So people who, who have heard of Monday Night Magic, but obviously I've never had a chance to see it, right. got to sort of see what our brand... Right. What our brand sort of stood for. Now, who are the producers still? I assume since uh, Jamie and Swiss had moved some time ago, he's not as involved as he was? Or? Um, he's still involved in some capacity. I mean, the, the, the core producers, you have Michael Chout, who's still the founding producer. Right. You still have Peter Samuelson, Todd Robbins, and Jamie and Swiss, who are involved. Okay. Todd is super heavy, involved with Speakeasy Magic. He's the one who sort of runs that one as well. So his time is, is fairly Which is where split. you are. I've done Speakeasy Magic. I've done Monday Night Magic. And now I've got my own show in New York uh, called Magic in a Bottle, which takes place at City Winery. I'm not familiar with it, so tell me more about it. So it started just after uh, Fool Us. I did Fool Us. They reached out to me. They said they wanted to do something once a month awesome. involving magic. So we created a show there. It's like a dinner theater comedy club type show. It's me and two other magicians, or three other magicians, every single month. Mm-hmm. It's been a ton of fun. We started it last March. We've been extended through this August. So and 16, it's actually 18 a, a set show? It's not like walk around or bar magic? No. Nope. Well, there is a little bit of close-up magic that takes place before the show begins, mm-hmm. typically done by Sean Dillon and Michael Goldman, who are two great close-up magicians. It's kind of warm-up. Yep. And then we've got a comedy club type show. You know, it's straight on stage, um, really comedy club feel. So, we mean, we've had Harrison Greenbaum, Mark Calabrese, Jason Saran, Eric Dittleman, Marcus Monroe, Rachel Wax. All the local people. Everybody out there who I know can kill it and bring <laughs> right. it to that stage yeah. has yeah, done great so. great people out there. It's been great. Mark, Mark Zakaria and so many others have, have come up to that stage. Alex Boyce has done a great job. So, knock on wood, that's going real successful, too. If anyone's uh, in the New York area, you know, take a look at it, check it out. So, when Whenever they approach you, they said, okay, this might work, and obviously it did, and so they're just over to the moon, probably thinking, this is wonderful, we're going to keep this going as long as we can. I hope that they do. I mean, listen, <laughs> listen, I stacked the deck in my favor, because the very first show, I said, okay, who do I need? I, I need to come out of the gate strong, I need to blow everybody away, and it was Rachel Wax, Mark Sicaria, and Harrison Greenbaum headlined. And you did, blow and, it out. And yeah. the owners of the show said, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread, let's keep going. And we've been able to keep high level of quality every single month, and the yeah. crowds are getting bigger and bigger. Uh, speaking of comedy, by the way, that some years ago, C. Bergazzi and Rick Merrill and, and you, were uh, when we were all at the 4F, we were sitting down and talking about that very thing, about writing comedy, because mm-hmm. uh, I think you had come to me, or maybe Stephen had, and said, uh, you know, why don't we do a podcast just with uh, the three of us talking about writing? Because every Saturday night, uh, you guys usually uh, close the show, uh, and uh, so you guys, you're kind of behind the scenes, and Stephen and Rick are the ones beating up each other all the time, it seems right. like. I tell them what to say. They go up there, say it, and That's they right. get in trouble because they said something <laughs> offensive or, or or, you know, insensitive. You stick your hand up their backside. So <laughs> exactly. Basically, you exactly. move their mouth. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I tell them what to say, and then they get in trouble saying it. What is one of the best tips for comedy writing? I think the best thing is to really understand who you are as mm-hmm. a performer. I mean... Listen, Steve and Rick are two of the smartest, funniest guys I absolutely know. If I can contribute to 5% of what they do on that stage, yeah. I'm, I'm proud. But the thing is, Rick is a straight man. Steve is, is physical comedy at its absolute greatest. <laughs> yeah. And therefore, you have to sort of learn, like, what, what jokes do you need to write that's going to fit into each one of their styles? Because mm-hmm. if Steve goes up there and tries to do a joke deadpanned, it's not going to land. Yeah. And if Rick does a joke that's a little bit more physical, I mean, maybe it'll be, it'll be okay. It's but, not his style. but it's not his style. And you can tell he's kind of out of his element, if you will. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So I think when you're writing jokes for yourself, I think it's really important to understand what the audience sees when they look at you. And and sometimes you might have a great joke that just doesn't fit who you are. And it's hard to do, but you have to cut that. What I also hear you saying then also is to uh, write for somebody else. In other words, we, you might mm-hmm. see yourself as a particular funny you know, type of guy who would be more physical or less physical or, or whatever, but the audience sees you differently. And if you are 
seeing yourself something different than what you want. In other words, you're seeing yourself as how you want to be, but you're succeeding with the audience in a different way. You need to have someone from the outside. That's why you need a director for your show, first of all. But to have someone who writes for you saying, no, that joke that you just think you said is not as funny. So it's important to not just have a director, but also have a writer for you to say, here's really who you are, and the audience accepts you as being. At least somebody who can critique your writing That's in a really honest way. Yes. I mean, you need somebody who's going to stop and say, listen, I think that joke's funny, but I don't think it fits you. Or, it's you, exactly. Or you're going to get up and say, hey, listen, every time I deliver this line, it gets a laugh. And you might have somebody who turns around and goes, I'm telling you, though, you're getting a laugh, but it's at the, it's at the, the expense of other parts of your character, mm-hmm. and it's probably not a good joke for you to do. Man, it's good advice. That is really great. Well, uh, I know you're uh, soon going to be getting uh, your mind set for this because you're just a few minutes away from your lecture, and people are starting to soon be filling up the uh, lecture hall over here for that. So it's good seeing you. You're going to be performing then tonight or tomorrow? Yep, I'm well? emceeing the show tonight. Super excited. We've got a lot of great performers tonight. Who's it's on? Do you a lot of fun. Oh, I'm not, you have to wait and see. <laughs> so you, since you got here, you really haven't seen much at all as far as critiquing the rest bit. of what you've seen. Just a little bit. But like I said, so far, everybody I've talked to has been super impressed. Uh, mm-hmm. These guys do a great job. Tom fun is a phenomenal. It's so much fun. Everybody here is great. Mm-hmm. And most conventions are that way, but this being as small as it is, in the Great Smoky Mountains, it's uh, very much a friendly family kind of a thing. And I say family, I don't see a lot of children here, but a lot of people who are friends who have been coming for decades, you mm-hmm. know, and who just love coming, you know, maybe just to this convention only. I, I, I noticed, for example, at other regional conventions, there are some people go to the TAOM who don't go to other conventions, right. some people to, well, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, so but this similar. seems to be one where everybody in this general area, not right. even in this general area, within a six, seven hour drive, they drive for, this is, this yeah. is a appointment viewing for them. Yep, yep. It is, is amazing. Well, good. Thanks very much, David. It's good talking with you again and good Great seeing you. Great to see you, Scott. Thank you so much. <laughs> for the Magic Word Podcast. That was David Crisero. This is Scotty Young. We have just finished the uh, evening show, and uh, that was the Magic I don't know what it's called, Magic Rama or something like that, that was open to the public there at the Country Tonight Theater, and we'll talk about that here in a in a few moments, but I want to talk about somebody or a couple of guys who were in the close-up contest. Last evening, as we closed the podcast, we were talking with Ed Ripley, who is one of the chairmen for the uh, contest, both stage and close-up. And the close-up was this morning, and they had the stage this afternoon, and really it was kind of a, this afternoon was uh, an open mic kind of a thing with about eight different competitors. But this morning, we had a, uh, some close-up guys. How many people were competing close-up, by the way, Farron? It was more like eight. Okay, eight or ten? Okay. Eight to ten, yeah. I have two people who are with me. By the way, I'm over at Steve Gronowski's house, who is a fellow who's got just the most incredible collection of uh, mechanical Equipment, so that's why you hear things in the background. But not only that, we're sitting now at a at a poker table, one of about six different poker tables next to the pool table, and everything else. It's like uh, a nineteen or eighteen eighties. I was going to say brothel, but more like a bar, I guess. You know, yeah. so kind of something you'd see in Colorado or someplace. You know, about a long time ago in the Wild West. So now let me introduce you to Farron. Say hello, Farron. Hello, Farron. <laughs> yeah, <there we> go. <laughs> and Dragon. Hi there, Dragon. Hi, how's it going? And Dragon, where are you from, by the way? Uh, I'm from Detroit, Michigan. Okay. And you then, Farron? Same for me, but also in Detroit. All right. And so both of you guys are friends of uh, Sarah and uh, Keith Fields. You got it. And so they were sponsoring you, bringing you down, or tell me a little bit about how you got here to where we are. Yeah, yeah. So Dragon and I both perform close up at the Magic Soiree, which is their dinner show that they do in Troy, Michigan. And we got to know uh, Keith first through the Detroit Magic Club, uh, which is Ring 22 of the IBM. And we got to perform there, and it's basically they 
told us about this opportunity to participate in a a competition, a magic competition, which I neither one of us have ever. Well, actually, Dragon has performed in a competition before, but I have not. You have competed before in other. Yeah, at where were you? Yeah, in uh, Colon, Michigan. Uh, when I was a little kid, I did like competitions, but I thought of it more like talent shows yeah. sort of thing. So this is the first like real competition where I actually like tried and put in effort. So because <laughs> we met up a, a lot leading up to the competition and got to see each other's acts kind of evolve over time and got feedback from other guys from the, the club from Keith as well uh, met with him and uh, with Sarah and just got their their feedback and uh, yeah and it's it's amazing that like it's finally done like we finally because it's just so much time and energy uh, and thought has gone into it all so it's it's funny that you know here we are on the other side you know was this dragon also uh, no fair thank you I asked dragon for a minute as far as developing your close-up routine uh, for the competition. Did you first of all know, okay, I have X number of minutes and then kind of back into that and then decide I'm going to do this kind of an act? Uh, or how did you design the convention contest act? Yeah, so me personally, uh, everything I was doing was original stuff that sort of I figured out there was a competition and I went, okay, I want to make stuff for this. And I kept making new stuff and then it sort of came like it maybe a month beforehand I'm like oh yeah there's a time limit so then I had to take time into consideration so yeah I I worked on material first and then the time started eliminating cutting yeah yeah yeah, cutting things down and you decide what to throw out and what to keep in uh honestly every single time I performed it I just sort of saw which things went together it was a lot of just experimenting and sort of thinking in the moment the moment in fact like last night I was sort of still doing it i was like oh should i keep this do this so i the act was a little bit different uh the night before the competition actually were you on time did you keep it under because you know you get deducted points or you sometimes get disqualified you're over yeah yeah i i made sure to have a little stopwatch going on my table so i know i was i was good with the the time uh aspect of it and so when you did it is it actually an act where there's a beginning middle and end or was it just trick after unrelated trick what kind of an act what would you do oh yeah yeah yeah. so this whole act i had uh there there was a theme it was uh it wasn't cards it wasn't coins we started labeling it uh a notebook act because all of the effects are just in this notebook that i walk on stage with and uh yeah all the effects are like self-contained in the notebook except for a deck of cards i use but yeah, besides that, everything in the notebook is original. Uh, it's hard to explain all of them because they're very abstract ideas yeah. that you sort of need to see. That was interesting and original. And Farron, how about you? Yeah, I mean, for me, my favorite close-up magic is coin magic. Uh, Dragon knows anytime you know, we get to that time of the month for club, uh, the... Detroit Magic Club, I've always got a new coin thing I'm working on, and so I had some coin routines that I was excited about and kind of linked together with the theme of Bindi Pin, uh, I called it, which is just a classic rubber pencil thing, but it, it was just kind of a running joke in my my little act that uh, I'm this performer, Farron, who just really seems to be enamored about that Bindi Pin, just really loves it, and throws in some... Um, you know, visual coin magic along along the way. So, um, so yeah. So, just basically picked out my few favorite coin routines and found that common thread and 
put some transitions in, but uh, and and just trying to find new ways to um, take that. Like, what can you do with a bendy pin? Like, could you maybe it it's actually bendy at some point um, instead of you know the visual illusion of it if it looks bendy, or maybe you make the bendy pin huge and you have a giant one, or you know maybe there's a gag with my name uh you know i have a name tag at the beginning that says farron and then by the end of the name tag without anybody noticing it has changed from farron to ben ben d pen uh you know the name so so has this inspired you then also to uh, both of you to enter other contests at conventions i would love to enter honestly the having a goal to work towards has been a uh a really good experience because I don't know. I, I have a very short attention span a lot of the time, and I, I get attracted by the new shiny thing to work on and, and play around with. And uh, it's been nice that okay, I have this goal, and I'm everything that I'm working on is all towards this one goal. And what I'm left with, you know, whether I do another competition or not, and I would love to, uh, but either way, um, I have a, a you know six-minute act that I can now use all over the place. So when's your next convention? You think you might be competing? You gonna go to the IBM and it Pittsburgh? Yeah, we, we were considering going to the IBM com- competition uh, and convention, uh, which I've never been before. In, in fact, this is Keith's the- involved with that, obviously. Exactly, exactly. And um, this is my first time even being in a convention outside of Michigan. So even that aspect has has been a lot of fun. It's like meeting new people and everything, and um, and, and it's really been a lot of fun too. Just getting to see other people's acts and get to talk to them about you know the you know the stuff that they prepared for the competition and everything as well. well how old are you 22 I'm 26 in fact okay. but uh, I you look, look young. you look young that's yes right. that's right you got and uh, you said you competed uh, then dragon when you were a junior I guess at yeah, colon yeah. Yeah. and so are you about the same age also then uh yeah I'm, well I'm I'm only 20 okay yeah so I'm 20 he's 26 um, so are you looking at also at going perhaps to Atlanta uh, say Atlanta to uh, Pittsburgh, the IBM, or some other convention here in the future? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, this was really fun. Uh, sort of like he was saying, the time crunch and needing to create something uh, sort of did boost my creativity. I consider myself a creative person, but I didn't really think I would be able to come up with this many original things, but I definitely think because because of the time crunch it put us under and the pressure, it, it sort of leads, uh, leads your brain to create things that it normally wouldn't in like a relaxed setting. You both have kind of put your finger on something that uh, competitors have said. I mean, Jeff McBride and others who who have competed in the past themselves as well as teaching and training other people to compete, that's one of the things. First of all, it's camaraderie. I mean, Mm -hmm. because when you kind of get in the pit, if you will, with other competitors, you have something that's a band of brothers that you always will be friends from then on Mm -hmm. because you were backstage kind of sweating about the same thing, waiting to see who's going to win. Second of all, you, and mainly what you've just said, is you have a goal. You have something that you are trying to achieve, and you've got a deadline to do it. And that's not like the normal world. It seems well. I say normal. If you're working in the business world, you have deadlines you're going to meet for certain things, obviously. But for magic, if you've got a show, you're going to be working for a party or working at a restaurant. Well, I got to go this Thursday and work. But you're not. You know, you're working on new things. But it's not like that. You have to have an act down, and you're going to be judged on this. That's going to be just a one-time or one-off kind of a thing. So it's important, I think, to have those kinds of uh, goals and that's what contests do for you and it gives you life lessons I think mm-hmm. 
So you're learning a lot then, Dragon, as a young man, and yeah, you've yeah. as well. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm inspired and glad that you guys are uh, going to go and do this again and move on, so we'll be hearing more from you. Oh, certainly. So I, w- I would love to keep working on things, keep coming up with new ideas. I mean, What's your um, long-term goal? Gosh, you know, certainly just with this. I mean, in, like in magic in general. I mean, yeah. So you know, for me, um, I magic is just so much fun for me. And I, you know, I did magic for ten years without knowing any magicians. I was just kind of doing it by myself. And it, really, in the last five years, getting to go to conventions in, in Michigan and now Tennessee as well. Um, I don't know. It's just it's such a wonderful hobby for me. And, you know, I, I don't at this time see myself doing it in a more professional capacity, but I could see it being maybe like a side hustle kind of a thing. Um, but that doesn't mean that I want my magic, you know, I, I want to Being a part-time striving. professional, that's the thing, you know, Gene Anderson had coined that term. So you're not really an amateur if you are making money, mm-hmm. uh, but a part-time professional because when you are actually performing, you're performing as if you're a full-time professional mm-hmm. because you are professional and people are... are seeing you, perceiving you as that, and paying you for mm-hmm. being a professional, and so you have to give a professional show. Right. So it's a part-time, it's not semi, indicates that you're only half professional, right. but, but a full-time professional means you really are doing it, and you're invested full-time in making sure they get the best show as a full-time professional would, you know, so part-time professional is kind of a coin a term he'd uh, coin. Mm-hmm. So that's something to, to strive for. Yeah. For years I had done that as well as a part-time professional, having another outside job until I turned full-time professional. Mm-hmm. So I encourage you kind of to, to follow the same path. Mm-hmm. Def- yeah, I definitely appreciate that. And um, yeah, and I don't know. I mean, I've been focusing on very hobby, you know, type stuff, you know, stuff without much of an end goal for the last couple of years, particularly with COVID when there wasn't a lot of performing going on. And so it really feels like, you know, we're on the opposite side of COVID. Okay, now I have a goal. Now I'm actually creating something that's going to you know, be a contained act with a beginning, middle, and end. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure where it's going to go, but it was a fun experiment for sure. And so, Dragon, you are the youngest of us, the three of us here. Yeah, and yeah. so, are you in college then right now? Are you studying? Uh, uh, actually, no. Right now, okay. I'm just working. I have a job. And, uh, are you looking at doing this on a full-time basis? Yeah, that, my goal, I want to do something with Magic full-time. Uh, right now, I want it to be performing, but... In the past two years, I have been going to more conventions. Well, I've, I've been going to my first, like, big conventions outside of Michigan, uh, like Magic Live, Magi Fest, I went to for the first time last year. And sort of, it sort of opened my world up to different areas in Magic that I could be making a living off of. Yeah. But, yeah, right now I would say I want performing to be, like, my main goal. Yeah. But obviously right now I have a, a regular job at a restaurant that isn't my favorite thing in the world, but I have to make money somehow. Well, it's good to kind of have something, you know, that you're yeah, doing, and yeah. as I said, then being a, a part-time professional, and then yeah. once you can kind of launch into being a full-time, once you realize, hey, I can actually do this, you yeah, know, but you yeah, have yeah. to pack your parachute before you exactly. jump off yeah, and yeah. make sure it opens. You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Congratulations to both of you on uh, jobs well done then this morning, and good luck. I guess I'll be giving the, announcing the winner tomorrow. Yeah, I know. I'm nervous. I'm Find nervous. <laughs> but it was, all, it was already a success, honestly. Yeah, just coming down here with Keith and Sarah, I'm sure that's great. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much. And so for the Magic Word Podcast, that was Farron and Dragon. This is Scotty Young.
Well, I mentioned earlier about how that uh, Keith Fields was the one who had brought people uh, down there, Farron and uh, Dragon. And besides that, I also had uh, alluded to this evening's show, which was amazing. Uh, that was the, what they call the Magicorama or something again. That yeah, was, I, Africa Magicorama. Something, it was one of those big yeah, things. exactly. <laughs> but I got with me now my uh, good friend and buddy and uh, yours too, friend of the Magic World. And he's on the board of directors of the International Brotherhood of Magicians. Yes, Are you? Uh, That's right. Uh, and yeah. also the, uh, are you in charge of the... Uh, the uh, territorial vice presidents, or you were? That's what I. Well, I, no, I'm not in charge of them. I'm working on the marketing committee. I'm work, working on the TVP committee, and I'm also the the biggest project I'm on at the moment is rebuilding the IBM website. Oh, that needs to be redone. That's a good idea. Does, to do. uh, and yeah, it's it's very exciting. Some of the plans we have for it. And, yeah, watch and, this space. And so that's the voice of Keith Fields. So let me introduce him. Hey there, Keith. So hey, I'm hey. Really, glad to see what you. A pleasure so to it, be with you again, sir. It, it, and you too. It's been a while since we were in Michigan. We were in Detroit yeah. when we were over. To Harriet's and had a little party that's, with uh, Chris Phil Plot and everybody. Yeah. I, I was actually looking at a video that I took of you doing one of your dollar bill tricks. Bill tricks, yeah. Just earlier on today. It yep. came, came up on my video. Yep. So, yeah. um, so uh, how long of a drive? I mean, did you uh, did you stop overnight someplace? No, no. You it's, drove uh, it's about eight and a half, nine oh, hours for bad. us, so yeah. it's not too bad. Yeah, we, yep. we did. Both uh, Sarah and I drive together, so we, we swapped over drivers, you know, keep ourselves awake. So I want to talk a little bit about this evening's show. It was, wow, uh, it was what a flipping show. It was amazing. Was, talk about knocking it out of the park. <laughs> David was, yeah, was knocked out of the yeah. park. David Cassero did a great job as the MC, and yeah, he wasn't just keeping class. things moving, but he had such great, not I wouldn't say bits, he had full-blown routines in yeah, between. Yeah, yeah, some great comedy bits as well. Comedy bits that he brought on Steve Bargatze oh, and Steve, Steve Bean. Bar- Steve Bargatze <laughs> was, I, I mean, I've seen a pratfall in my time. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that the term pratfall is an old term in case someone thinks it's derogative or something. Uh, but uh, he fell off a chair. Well, he was supposed to be. He was punched and knocked off a chair by Steve Beam. And my heart honestly missed a beat. He went down like a sack of potatoes. He did. That didn't was he? so realistic. And it was so realistic. Talk about selling apart. He looked like he'd been uh, hit by. He was sitting next to me afterwards and I said, Are you sure you're okay? But yeah, I'm fine. He looked like he'd been hit by Will Smith. He, yeah, you know. absolutely. <laughs> Wicked, <laughs> but no, he's a he's a monster. Steve Bargatze is a monster at playing that. I'm a dumb member of the audience just yeah. sitting here. Part, yeah. yeah. He plays it so well. I mean, the guy's a comedy genius. Wonderful. Uh, but but that, that was just a small part. That was of the just show. oh my just goodness, yes. Part. And it opened up. I mean, from the get go. I mean, when uh, David just opened, uh, said before we as we get started. I mean, he didn't really do anything other than introducing uh, yeah. uh, John Sterling and Tamara yeah. that came out. And, uh, and and as he as John said, he was doing the sort of talk about being the Chavez student and was doing the Chavez stuff. And you know, it was it was a, a beautiful, flawless portrayal of yeah. that style of magic, which we don't see often enough. It's classic. Uh, it was, it was, and it was, it was, you know, it was perfect. I mean, I was sitting very close to the front, and the card manips, the ball manips. Yeah, and then ending up with the multiplying bottles. Yeah, again, always, classic always trick. a winner. Always beginning, a winner. Yeah. The beginning was the uh, chase the ace that uh, he was doing, kind of like Jack Goldfinger and Dove. Yeah, that, that, years that, ago, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> beautiful yeah. act, beautiful yeah. act. No, they, they did a great job opening the show. Really and they were nice. followed then. I, was Guy Babley second? I think in the. Uh, I, you know, I am absolutely blanking now. We we, we both say looking for our programs. <laughs> uh, but um, whether he was Jay Blackwell, I don't think that's that's right. Yeah. Because uh, Jay Blackwell had done kind of a juggling and a, and a geek act, I guess, yeah. if you will. You know, the uh, blockhead. Blockhead. Uh, I said not geek the act drill, so much. Drill in the nose yep. and the 
um, and that stuff, which was nice. It was again, it, it was very, very sideshow, uh, but it was exactly he did it. He, he did everything really cleanly and really nicely and really well. It was a lot of fun. He did, yes. Um, so yeah, after uh, after that uh, came off, actually, as I'm looking at this, actually, Guy Bavley, it was Guy Bavley had yeah. done uh, his uh, act to begin with, in which he was doing some uh, impressive mind reading from people that right from the get go. Very opening, straightforward. The opening trick he did, um, I, you know, I was. You know when you're a magician and you see someone doing a trick, you go, oh, you're doing this. Correct. You uh, think of the method. Yeah, you think of the method because we know roughly what he was right. doing. And it was a predict-a-number trick. A uh, member of the audience said, can you name any number between 1 and 10? And I assumed it was a nail writer and it was That's going to going to do. And then he did this lovely gag of taking... Uh, of the <laughs> fact that he, he didn't have one piece of paper, he had ten pieces of paper, and he counted through them to and turned one round to the six, which yeah. was, and it was very funny. And I just thought, what a brilliant gag! And I thought to myself, if he turns round the other cards and they're all blank, this would be a really nice little trick. And well done. And, but you know, I had the method all worked out in my head. But he didn't do that. He turned round the other cards, and they were all sixes. And he just threw them up in the air, and they fluttered to the ground. And it was like, they were all sixes. Now, I'm sure he led me up a garden path, dug a hole, and I just fell in it. But I was so fooled at that moment. I am with you then, my friend. uh, He was... uh, it, that fooled me. That, yeah. I thought, okay, well, maybe there's some sort of uh, stick them on there or some <laughs> something. But no, for me, for there to be ten I cards, I was going through all those all things as well. Yeah. Exactly. But then, the with the way they just flooded the ground, they were just single they pieces just, of paper. They, yes, it was, I, I was absolutely it, it fried. Was amazing. By it. Yeah. Yeah, we talked about uh, uh, Jay Blackwell. Yeah, Blackwell, he was who Blackwell. did juggling and fire eating, yeah. which was uh, really good and classical. And then this other guy had come on. I'd forgotten his oh, name. Ray Adams. Ray Adams. Ray Adams. Now, listen, folks, you've got to understand what happened here. It, it seemed that there was a problem with the lighting. Yeah, a problem with the lighting. And there was a, a techie guy just sort of wandered onto the back of the stage with an iPad to just adjust some of the lighting. And then all of a sudden, it, it, it turned into like a, a mime act of a man. He wasn't chasing the lights around, but he was pressing buttons and the wrong things were happening. Right, it was funny. But it was very funny. And you had bought into the fact that he was yeah. just really part of the stage that, crew. That's the thing. And it was, it was really how long could he keep us believing he was just part of the stage crew. And my answer to that is longer than I expected he would. Yeah. Because it was really, really funny. And then the lights fused um, and he ended up getting a flashlight out uh, or a torch as I would call it but, um, that's because we gave you a language kindly use it correctly um, so we gave, he speak a, American here yeah I know flashlight okay flashlight uh, he had a flashlight and he did a, shado- a shadowography is that what they shadowography. call it shadowography shadowography routine and he did one of the nicest shadowography routines with some music in the background and some yeah. different kinds of things than I would have typically seen yeah, yeah and he had sort of some hats on his fingers and minor puppetry included. Yeah. Which actually, Michael Jackson. Yeah, it actually added a lot. Michael Jackson moon dancing was hilarious. <laughs> but the the little extras, which were just sort of hats and high, well, they were probably just little cardboard cutouts that he stuck on the end of his finger like a thimble. Yeah. But they really added. And he did a really sort of emotional, heart tugging ending, didn't he, with that song? I can't remember the song, but it was. Um, you know, one of those du- big duetty numbers, you know, which uh, 
everyone loves. Oh yes, exactly. And then the show was brought to a rousing conclusion by Aaron Radish, who got a big show in Branson. Yeah. And he was the final illusionist. You always yeah. have you usually open with doves and close with illusions, but we opened instead with uh, carbon yeah, manipulation, carbon which is great, and then closed with illusions. Closed with illusions, yeah. and yeah, it was Aaron is. He's, he's a bit of a legend, really, isn't he? I mean, it's um, the, the way the way he moves is is he, he's not a dancer in the way he moves. It's kind of almost ungainly, but it's kind of incredible, incredibly watchable. And yeah, and, and there's something about him. There really is. He's just a fantastic performer. He is. You can tell yeah. that he's had uh, yeah. several thousands of hours of oh, performing yeah, under his belt. Absolutely, absolutely. You know? And a nice flow from the illusions to in front of the curtain oh, and some other yeah. stuff they did. The, the, smash and stab, I thought yeah. was really good. Which you know he gave homage then to Scott, Scott Alexander, Alexander, which yep. was a wonderful moment as yep. well. Yeah, because you know you can't help seeing that particular version of smash and stab without thinking about Scott. That's right. That's right. Uh, but uh, but his whole his whole set just flowed so. So smooth. The whole show, well put flowed. together, well produced. And I, th- I mean, this is down to Tom, um, uh, who books these shows. And I was talking with a couple of guys earlier when I was booked to do this a, a few years back. Tom said specifically to me he wanted me to do a specific routine, um, and it, I, I didn't particularly want to do that routine actually, but it was the routine that they wanted because in terms of the show that was the routine that fitted yeah and they were right and i think nowadays there aren't enough show organizers and convention organizers that are actually telling the performers what to do a, a number of times i've been at a convention and it's been three or four performers and it's okay so what it's are we doing mismatch. who's doing what sort out you sort out your own running order you see almost you sort out who's emceeing sometimes yeah, and, I, and I think like there, yeah there's no there needs to be a bit of thought in the production of the show yeah so there's a good flow a bit of logic to it rather than just sticking that's a very good point. I think that conventions need to put more time, particularly when you're selling tickets to the public oh, like yeah, they did tonight, yeah, yeah. because public expects to have a professional show like you see on television or and when they boy, go to the booth. They if they're that, buying tickets... Did they get that tonight? They, they did honestly, in space. It was... It was well, I, I actually heard someone say, I've seen... Uh, oh, no, I can't say that. <laughs> I just suddenly realised I shouldn't, I shouldn't say what I'm you're about to say. You're starting to get say. candid here. Yeah, not knowing the microphone's Exactly, yeah. I, Someone said that this show was so good, it should have been the show at various other magic conventions that I shall not mention. Because <laughs> okay. I'm known as being very good. And Let's that's that one of the many reasons, and this is just a Friday night show. Tomorrow is a closing show, and I know we're going to be, ha- we're going to be having some amazing uh, people on tomorrow night. I yeah, can't wait. Uh, me too. Do they know uh, who? Have uh, I haven't, but I can tell you that Artem Shookham is one of them. I, I, oh, wow. And he's, yes. always, he's right over there and right it, now. Oh, yeah. We, we met Artem last year at the IBM convention. Yes. What a, Great guy and fantastic performer. Everywhere he goes, he kills. Yeah, and he yeah. wins first prize after first prize after yeah. first prize. And he's over there talking to my wife. And um, he's talking to my wife. Yeah. I've, I've got to go. He's talking to my wife. <laughs> Aaron Shooten's talking to my wife. I, I've got to go. Uh, nice to see you, everyone. Nice to see you, Scott. <laughs> okay. Excuse me. I'm, I'm be, I'm... So for the Magic Word Podcast, that's kind of a wrap, I think, in for day two. That was Keith Fields. And we'll see you tomorrow as we start to bring you day three. This is Scotty out.